Welcome to the 5D podcast. I'm your host, Tom White. Today, we're joined by Stephanie Atkinson, founder of Compass Intelligence. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. Uh, and it's nice for you to come on my show. So I came on your show. You're obviously co-host of the IoT Coffee Talk. Everyone knows the IoT Coffee Talk. It's been going for a long, long time. Lots of good people. So I, pre- I appreciate you coming on to tell me a little bit about your story on here. Awesome. Thank um, all right, you. cool. Uh, so let's get into it. So uh, obviously, you've got a really varied background, lots of things going on in your past, uh, engineering, industrial analyst, um, lots, lots of kind of cool, uh, you know, things that have got you into this industry. But for, for our listeners that have come from like a predominantly IoT background, um, can you kind of explain how you got into you know, this whole industry 4.0 movement and what excited you to get into it in the first place? Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy because, you know, um, at, at A&M where I graduated, Texas A&M University in Texas, um, my background was in supply chain logistics, um, industrial distribution, and never did I think I would be, you know, ever use any of that background. But as we kind of rolled into um, covering machine-to-machine communications at Compass Intelligence more than 10 years ago, um, you know, things has kind of evolved, right? We were talking about RFID. Um, you know, that was kind of the beginnings of really getting exciting about some of these sensor solutions and some of these things that were really impacting the industrial world. And then it shifted into more M2M. And then I guess the overall industry just decided to call everything IoT and kind of encapsulate or have that massive umbrella over a whole host of things, right? It's not necessarily a market or an industry specifically. It's really a lot of different industries and sub-industries. So yeah, it's been more than 10 years. Um, We were launching a whole host of market research projects and forecasting and modeling and um, really like jumping right into the market and really helping our customers make sense of it and what it meant for businesses. And I think that's... um... That's a really pivotal uh, business decision to make, right? Because as you mentioned, IoT is has been such a wide, encompassing um, umbrella for so many different aspects. People are a bit lost, aren't they? You know, do you find that within some of the businesses that you're speaking to, they kind of hear it, but really don't know how it will affect them or, or what even the benefit is in trying to do something? Right. We and, and we always make a joke about this. Uh, us guys on the IoT Coffee Talk. Is like, is someone going to walk into or go call their technology vendor and say, hey, I want to buy some IoT? You know, that's not happening. So, you know, generally, they don't, it's, it's more of a discussion around what they need and what they're looking for. And the technology vendors need to do a better job of really kind of mirroring that, or closing that gap and, and helping them better identify, well, what does IoT really mean for my business? What's it going to do? You know, what are the applications? What's it going to change, shift, improve, increase? You know, am I going to create a new business model using this, um, new, new revenue? And then my saving money, saving time, what is it? And so that's really, the I think, the biggest challenge the industry continues to have is that so many technologists, technology vendors, they really don't have, you know, their hands around how to really communicate the value proposition to the end customer and really make it make sense for their industry or their sub-industry. And in, any, in many cases, that really that one customer, do you know that customer and what they need? And so that's the biggest gap that we see out there. That's the biggest challenge. I think that 
the it's not just a challenge for IoT. It's always been a challenge for technology, period, because technologists tend to not focus as much on the end customer as they should. And that's always been the case. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the engineer's trait, isn't it? In a way, right. You know, engineers by default, if you, if you go, if you go back to the days of like pre-computers, you know, they'd be out in the shed tinkering with stuff and uh, maybe sometimes less socially adept to be able to translate that to the, to the, you know, the person on the street. Uh, and I think ever more so you see that in technology and then obviously into IoT. So, so definitely an interesting business and, and, and quite a nice niche for you. Uh, to be involved with. How long have you been doing that for? How long has Compass Intelligence been going for? Yes, we um, we turned 17 years in, in June. And oh. um, prior to that, I worked for um, um, another um, market research firm. So I've been doing this, gosh, 20, 20 plus years. And okay. um, I originally got my start focusing in on kind of um, understanding core verticals or vertical markets within technology. And so, you know, my, my specialization has always been diving deeper into an industry and then the sub-industry and helping my customers make sense and understand the value proposition for that particular customer base. And then, um, you know, how do they really, how does that impact their go-to-market, their sales, their channel, their alliances, their partnerships, and their go-to-market? And that's really been my focus and, and kind of a specialization for Compass Intelligence, because a lot of traditional market research firms, they don't dive deep enough. And that's what we do. Okay. All right, cool. That's a really nice overview. Thank you for that. Um, I'm keen, I'm keen to jump on to some other things that you've done, right? So um, I think one of the things that is certainly quite close to, to my heart, and, and certainly to some of our viewers and listeners is uh, the nonprofit sector and, and how we can use technology uh, to kind of drive purpose amongst communities. And, and could you talk to me about Elevate Our Kids and that program? Because I know uh, I know Rob's involved, isn't he? And Leonard, I think, from the IoT Coffee Talk. Yes. They mentioned, it, they mentioned it when I spoke to them. But is this something that you set up yourself? Well, we, you know, we on IoT Coffee Talk, we, we were really kind of putting our heads together. And, you know, when COVID hit, we saw, you know, in the states, and this was more glo- This is globally, but we saw in the states that there were there was just a massive gap. We were all forced to be at home. Parents were, you know, forced to kind of sit there and, and help their their students or their 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 kids, you know, learn. And many of these kids we saw didn't have devices, didn't have internet, right? And even you know, workers they didn't have internet, they didn't have access. So we were like, what can we do? You know, it's in underserved and under-resourced communities, you know, we've got to do a better job of making sure all kids have access to internet and access to devices. And so when we started Elevate Our Kids, I'm serving as president, but it definitely was a joint effort amongst some of our IoT crew. And we decided, well, let's start Elevate Our Kids and let's see if we can fundraise and pull in funds and go out and buy laptops. So we found a vendor in California um, that we, you know, we really researched and try to find someone that could really bring that cost down to just a basic computer, a laptop computer. And we also are partnered with T-Mobile and they have their project 10 million. And so their focus is on the broadband side. So we were like, there's quite a few folks that were focusing on the broadband side, but not the device side. So we decided let's focus on the device side Let's fundraise. Let's see if we can collect some funds and go out and buy devices for 
you know, under-resourced communities, under, um, you know, folks that really just need devices and they just, their, their families just can't afford them. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's staggering really. I think sometimes we can get lost in our world, can't we? You know, we talk about, you know, the various things that we're doing, but then there's a lot of people out there, you know, without even the equipment to, to barely get started. <clears throat> I mean, I was looking, I was looking at some of the stats actually here before, before we spoke. And is it, is it somewhere in the region of 15 to 25 million students lack, lack access to laptops and computing devices? Uh, yes. I mean, that, that that's, that, yeah, that's, that's true. That's, that's true. And, we, we found that on the broadband, the access side, it's around 10 million. And, but when you look about, when you think about laptop devices, so many of these kids were using their parents' smartphone as their, their entire, like, you know, education. And we knew that that was just, that was a horrible, horrible setup for a child that really needed to have full video. They needed to have a lot more features and applications that can only be that can really only come from the laptop device and the kids and the parents also had to work, right? You know, you, if, if a, a family only had one smartphone or a couple of smartphones and there's three or four kids, what do you do? So we knew that there were, there were so many families that were struggling and that just didn't have the resources and, you know, 15 to 25 million, that's a really impactful number. And that digital divide is something that continues kind of to haunt us. And now that I think it opened up a lot of, especially in the States, our eyes around, we need to have, these kids need access. They also need devices and we need to help bridge that digital divide. And, and if there's anything we as, you know, executives, leaders in the tech industry can do to, to help get the message out and start, you know, seeing if we can distribute these devices, that's something that, that was really a big goal of ours. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, it's just staggering, isn't it? But I mean, there, there clearly is a digital divide. And I think, you know, empowering the, you know, the younger generation to, to have laptops, let alone get on the internet, right? And through broadband, as you mentioned, and T-Mobile obviously was doing a great thing with that. But without the hardware, you, it's kind of academic, isn't it? You know, so I think this, this initiative is, is fantastic. And what, so what's the plans for it? How does it actually work then? So you've got a manufacturer out in California and, and you know, you're in touch with some of the schools directly because obviously you had a background at AML, right? So is this how this kind of kick-started as well, getting into the schools? Well, we really leverage our partnership with T-Mobile um, is identifying the school is one thing and those that are already in need. And since they're already in communication with those schools, providing them with hotspot devices for broadband access, we knew that we, we could leverage their, their kind of lists and they've already kind of looked through it and identified which ones are under-resourced and that really, you know, there, there's a need there. And we knew that that was going to be a challenge for us because we're all, you know, full-time, we all have full-time jobs and we're like, how do we identify who, who needs them, who doesn't? And also, you know, just making sure that it's getting into the right hands, the families. And so we have a couple of things that we do. Um, we, we, on our website, elevateourkids.org, you know, we, we have it set up to where we can also identify an actual individual. We, we kind of have a, a list of questions and that will tell us whether they are a good match or not. Now that with working with T-Mobile, they'll help us identify a specific school district that's under-resourced. And so we, we pre-qualify them. And then um, if there is a need for devices, then we will, you know, do we have the funds? You know, so we kind of line things up. We did get a big grant last year. 
and we distributed laptops to Tulsa, Oklahoma students, you know, more, I mean, it was 150 kids that got um, laptops and that was a, an area that was really under-resourced and those kids, you know, just, I mean, we saw video and everything. It was great. We couldn't be there live because it was kind of on that tail end of COVID, but it was pretty amazing to see, <clears throat> excuse me, those kids just light up getting those devices. Yeah, that's lovely, isn't it? And in total, how many how many devices have been shipped out? You mentioned 150 there in Oklahoma, but it, how long, since it's been going, how many laptops and So we, we really are kind of in our earlier stages. So that was our big grant. Um, and we really are really seeking more corporate sponsors and funders because we it just got quiet. We just now also got our um, um, 501c3 approval. So we were also okay. waiting on that so we can open. That will give us more opportunities to start applying for grants and other things. We were operating under another third party's 501c before that. But now that we've got our own 501c3, we're really looking to identify someone who's great at um, writing grants and looking out for, because there's quite a few funds that are, that's focused on infrastructure and focus on, focusing on bridging the homework gap, the digital divide. And so our goal is really to find some additional resources there so we can be a little bit more strategic in terms of fundraising so we can expand this a lot more. Yeah, yeah, and 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 potentially take it outside of the states, maybe into Europe. Obviously, if you can get the grants and get the people and get a bit of a movement going on. Yeah, one of the things that we talked about was if we really get this thing working um, well in the states, then we can expand this globally for sure. And so, right now, I think that um, it's been a few years. We've got a, we had a lot of operational setup. Um, and then we just really got lucky at the very beginning with that, the initial grant. Um, but now we've, we've got more work to do. And we, we are actually meeting um, within the week to talk about a big fundraising event for 2023. So we can really amp this up. Yeah, that's so cool. Well, do you know what? You, you know, the world needs more people like you guys for putting these together in the first place. Right. I think that's so, so important. Um, you know, could it be? The possibilities are endless, and it. But but if people don't even have the basic hardware, then how are they how are they meant to even start? You know, and I think this um, this phrase that you use, bridging the digital divide, is a really apt one, isn't it? You know, people talk about the rich poor divide, and that's that's obviously one, and and obviously very uh, related to this. But the whole digital divide, uh, it was similar actually. I spoke to a guy uh, a while ago. I think it was I think it was Omar from OQ, um, and they do sort of satellite based IOT networks for connecting uh, and converged networks for getting people onto the internet. And he was sort of at the start, I can't quite remember it, it was something ridiculous about, you know, there's still well over a billion, maybe 2 billion people that don't really have stable access to the internet right in the world. And you just think, you know, some countries are so far ahead. And yet some people aren't. Uh, and it's staggering to really to really think about that and it's not until you do something like elevate our kids um do you really kind of see a the benefit but b just how bad it is as well and how much it needs to be improved so you know kudos to you and the guys for doing that i'm really impressed thank you and well, we've got more we've got work to do but we we feel like we've got a lot of our foundation set up so now it's time to get extremely serious and um, come up with the plan for 2023 in terms of a big fundraiser and really push forward. 
Yeah. Well, I hope there's someone listening right now that uh, this is resonated with that wants to reach out to you uh, directly to talk about this, because I think that would be really nice and it would be a nice way to, to bring that in. Um, moving on to some other aspects then. So, uh, I mean, technology in general, obviously, undeserved communities that we've spoken about, you know, with the Elevate Our Kids. Uh, IoT in particular, there's a there's a lot of impact that it can have across you know, telehealth, healthcare, improving quality of life, safety, etc. This is something that you're quite passionate about, something that you've been involved in. Um, could you talk a little bit about that within some of your businesses and, and, and you know, what you've been doing with that, Steph? Yeah, so um, we, we, we find that, you know, businesses are getting really serious and they're starting to look at technology for good, right? IoT for good. And I, th- I think a lot of the things that have happened over the past few years, um, We've got a very strong focus, especially in the States, on infrastructure. Um, infrastructure is one area. Um, safety is another area. And then, of course, healthcare. That's that's right, in lo- right along the same lines as, um, you know, the safety. And that has everything to do with the pandemic. And then, of course, just um, transportation. Um, those are kind of the three major hubs. And I'd say industrial has been a, a massive kind of um, one of the more busier um, IoT, if you look at number of connections and where the growth is and where the applications have been, that's really traditionally been on the industrial side. And um, we just don't see a lot on the consumer side. Um, but now with tech, tech for good, IoT for good, you know, we are when we think about, you know, what we can do with technology and what we can do with, uh, you know, making smart decisions that actually impact a, a better global environment. The other area is this, the, the whole sustainability um, focus, right? Um, big corporations in the States, you know, they, and, and I know this is a global, this is a global, um, uh, I guess, key topic for a lot of corporations is, is how do we do good? And so with that, sustainability has been a driving factor. And you think about um, businesses that are you know, trying to really reduce their carbon footprint, really improve their um, use of resources and really just be more efficient. It's the same thing with corporations. You start down, start to go down to even the smaller mid-sized businesses and smaller businesses. You know, how can we leverage and use automation, sensor networks, sensor technologies, edge computing, things that really provide real-time intelligence so we can make smarter decisions around the resources that we use so I'd say that the, the infrastructure slash resources that really kind of, um, uh, t- you know, teeters around um, doing good and focusing on ESG and sustainability efforts. Those are those are areas that we're, we're seeing kind of an uptick in in terms of growth. And folks are getting really serious about um, really changing their marketing and their messaging to kind of, you know, we want to feel good. We want to make smart decisions. We want to um, be cleaner. We want to be greener, and all of those things are impacting, you know, corporate decisions. And when we tie that back to IoT, um, you know, there are so many things that we can leverage and use from a technology landscape perspective that really help facilitate that movement. And so, that's something that I see that we're that we see shifting, you know, over the past twelve to eighteen months as a result of COVID and a lot of other things that are happening. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's. Um... Yeah, that's quite nice because I think one of the reasons why we and me personally went on the rebrand that we did is that COVID and the pandemic changed a lot of people, changed their view, changed their outlook, what 
was actually dear to them, what they thought was dear to them is, is now something different and their kind of values either changed or was cemented. Right. Um, and, I, and I think that that's really important, you know, uh, you know, the whole purpose piece, uh, how can you be more sustainable? How can you be greener? I guess sometimes I do think though, right, about the whole business world and the general profit that businesses are in and, and, and how sometimes maybe this is juxtaposed, you know, in the sense right. that, you know, Profit should be for you know. Profit should be for impact to do more, um, but I do worry sometimes in the in the wider landscape if there's a bit of greenwash out here. You know, if there's people that have a veneer about wanting to do good, um, right. but are they really are they really doing good? And are the intentions there? And why are they in business in the first place? You know, it's quite it's quite hard to to see through that sometimes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, sometimes you feel like, are they just doing this because it's something that they need in their corporate plan and their earnings reports? You know, what is this really about? Is this real? But I think the one the one driving factor is the younger generation of workers are coming into the workforce. Though that is a the, that um, quality or that even like non tangible. An aspect of a business it can be a reason why they might want to work for that company. And we didn't see that with our generation, right? We just, that wasn't something that was as important to us. But now the younger generation of folks, you know, that's important when they're, when they're interviewing, you know, they're asking those kinds of questions and they want to know, you know, what are you, um, what, what are some of the good things in, in, that you're doing with the community? What are some of the good things that you're doing with sustainability and being green and efficient? And so I think some of that does come from that younger generation. But yes, you're right. There are a lot of superficial programs that are out there. Like, how deep is it? Because, that, you know, we all know that these guys, they need, they need to make a profit. You know, they need to survive. A lot of folks just didn't survive COVID. You know, their business is closed. They, the small and mid-sized businesses, those mom and pops, those retailers, they struggled. They closed doors. So um, I do think that it has made us think a lot more inward around what are we doing? Um, what's important? Um, and of course, we've got to continue to um, make a profit. We got to stay in business. And so, um, there's been a lot of shifting ar- of, around of priorities. But you're right. There, there's a lot of superficial tech for good out there as well. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 I completely get it. You know, um, <laughs> Nespresso and B Corp springs to mind, right? So Nespresso was granted B Corp access and obviously Nestle in the past, you know, has had a lot of bad press and B Corp, I think is a wonderful movement and, uh, you know, it's a fantastic initiative and it really gets under the skin of businesses to say, well, what are you actually looking to do? Like what, you know, you know, what are your aims as a business? And I think that process can sift out businesses that are trying to use it as a marketing tool, you know, um, right. but, it's, but it's, but it's interesting how, you know, from an isolated instance, someone like an espresso can can become B Corp certified. Yet, you know, the parent company's values are are they really aligned? You know, are they are they really about that? You know, um, so that's quite that's quite interesting. But I think you're right about the about the the younger generation. When when I came onto IIT Coffee Talk, you know, I was talking about kind of the recruitment side and staffing within IIT, and you know, you're you're a hundred percent that it's a lot more conscious now, isn't it? You know, it's not a CSR, which is just a tab on a page. It's really about the whole vision, mission, purpose, right? And, um, and, and, and and I get it. And and I think that's a really positive sign. You know, there's a lot of people that kind of, um, 
have a lot to say about the younger generation and most of most of it negative but i think you know that's one of the real positive things is uh right very clear very clear on their principles very clear on what that what means for them and, and what they want to go and do and what they want to go on to achieve and i think you know it's 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 about time we had that kind of cultural shift i think so uh i see that as a real positive don't you i definitely do i think that you know when we were interviewing for jobs and positions, it was, okay, what's the salary? You know, what are the benefits? When do I, when do I, when do I get my vacation? When, it, when does my healthcare kick in? So those were all like just, <laughs> the, yeah, though, yeah, definitely. Um, the pay was very, that was the most important thing. We just didn't think about all the kind of non-tangible things. And I think that the, the kind of next wave of people coming in the workforce, they're thinking way more about the non-tangible things and, the quality of the company, um, the reputation of the company, is also not just sustainability from a green perspective, but is this company going to stay in business? You know, so there are a lot of things that are that I think there are a lot of just emerging factors that are coming into play when it comes to hiring because you know uh, the, these younger generations they actually are thinking more about um, a lot of the non um, you know just non tangible um, the feel good things about the company. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think ultimately, you know, if you took that more forward, uh, the purpose is is really driving the internal recruitment because it's without that purpose and uh, the kind of for good aspect, um, well, people people won't join, you know. And so I think it's a kind of self writing mechanism in a way because one of the things that you know I wanted to discuss today was how. Uh, the IoT ecosystem collaborations can can combat uh, you know fragmentation of the market, but also to drive forward uh, this overall sense of sustainability in in the industry. I think that that self writing mechanism works, doesn't it? You know, people want to join a business that's doing something good and and uh, you know has has good press. So yeah, I, I I get that. I mean, it's just on that note, in terms of. Uh, like lessons learned from this obviously in your time you know 20 25 years in in uh, market research as you mentioned you spent a lot of time in iot what are what are some of you know the credible and tangible things that you've learned from this from this industry that perhaps people wouldn't be aware of uh you know that you'd like to talk about i think more than anything um and i mentioned a little bit or touched on this is that um we as an industry, you know, we're, we're completely challenged. Uh, we tend to always lead with the technology and we can't lead with the technology. So that's, a, that's the biggest lessons, lesson learned is that we have to put the customer first. We have to really focus on the value proposition of your technology. And so that really means that you as a technology company really need to think a little bit more deeply around um, your customer base. Who are you targeting? Um, who are they? What's their make and mix up? How do they buy? How do they make decisions? How do they implement? How do they secure technology? What are some of their exist, existing partners, technology vendors, software vendors, systems integrators? If you don't come in well-versed in understanding that industry and who they operate with and who they partner with, then it's really hard to get in the door. It's really hard to sell your value proposition and if you don't understand their customer, I mean, their industry, and you don't understand what's keeping them up at night, I hate that cliche, but it's so true, then how do you even expect for them to trust you? So it's just a big trust thing. 
and for them to understand, oh, you know what? They quite, they do get my business. They do get my industry. And, you know, I'm willing to listen. I think the second thing is, is we, we realize that our, our, you're right. Our industry is so fragmented. There are so many vendors out there and there's been quite a few that have died. Right. And it does take a village. So in terms of our overall industry, we, we see just a, a growing um, force that says we have got to work together. Partnerships are important. Alliances are important. Um, you know, does that customer, um, does my brand resonate with that customer? If not, maybe there are some partners I should be working with because they're closer to transportation or they're closer to retail or they're closer to manufacturing and supply chain. So we really, we have to be more strategic in terms of how we go about this industry. And so that's also been something I think that as we mature, the industry matures, that there's more and more of that co-opetition, collaboration, partnerships. Folks are getting really, really strategic around developing their partnership portfolios and understanding, you know, who's out there and who, who resonates well with specific industries, even by region, by parts of the world. Um, we all know that there are vendors that just do very well in certain parts of the world. And there are others that like they'll never make it in the States. Um, and so we we are also seeing a lot of uh, just very strategic uh decisions that are being made in terms of how we collaborate and partner um, as an industry. The um, industry, again, is so fragmented. The only way we're going to scale and really move forces is for us to work together. And there are going to be a lot of companies that fail that just they're not going to be around. So folks that are out there looking for to work in this industry, you know, you really need to be smart and understand who you're going to work for, because there are a lot of IoT companies, so-called IoT companies that are just not going to survive um, over the next uh, few years. So those are those are some of the bigger lessons. I say from a um, looking at the entire landscape, um, I'd say the, the mid-market's very underserved. Um, we tend, I think the tech, tech world tends to go after these large corporations, these global multinational corporations, those that we think that we're going to, you know, grab mass business and um, create some scalability and that just hasn't been the case. So I think that um, businesses need to be smart. They need to look at those mid-sized companies that um, have chains, that have remote offices, that have remote operations, because those kinds of companies, um, they need support. Um, we all know that there's a massive gap in terms of the number of positions that are out there. Um, we, we looked at stats in the United States. There's over 11 million job openings, only five five, six million folks that are unemployed, there's this massive gap as well. So does that mean we're automating more? Does that mean that we're seeking and leveraging and leaning more on technology because we don't have the people? Um, so there's a lot of, there are a lot of moving forces. And then in the U.S., we want to bring manufacturing back to the U.S. Well, how do you do that when you don't have workers? So we're in a, a an ever-evolving, challenging kind of conundrum, and we really need to focus in on some of the things that really matter. And I do say, I do think that the mid-market is is an area, is a sweet spot for for tech, and um, there could be quite a bit of opportunity there as well. Yeah, that's some fantastic insights. Yeah, you really know your stuff, right? <laughs> uh, that's that's incredible. Uh, on the on the fragmentation piece, I do want to pick up on a couple of things there. So. What, what are the main reasons IoT in particular is so fragmented as a market, in your opinion? 
I think that when I, we have a problem in tech, and our problem is, is we overhype, we overhype, we overhype. And as a result of that, you know, software vendors, developers, um, small startups, everyone's going after IoT. And we just had a massive flood of vendors. Everyone had an IoT platform. Everyone said they had an IoT platform. And so there were so many just niche point solutions and vendors and companies that were coming out. And, um, you know, even now, you know, I think everything's kind of shifting and moving. Now the hype is around AI. It's computing. There's a couple other hype areas and um, blockchain, a couple others that we just we almost see as cuss words in, in IoT coffee talk because you really have to think about that. You know what's really happening. But yeah, so folks tend to trend to going towards where the hype is and um, create almost creating a technology out of thin air. And many of them are vapor, thin air, and they don't survive. And so um, I think in addition, you know, you know, a lot of folks were thinking about this as just piecemeal. It doesn't work like traditional IT. And so that's also very different. You know, I think traditional IT, you had someone focusing on software and you had someone focusing on security, you had hardware equipment. And, and that's just not the case with IoT. When you're going directly to the enterprise, going to the mid-market, all the way down to even small mom and pops, um, they need someone that's bringing a full package. Um, we, we're not at plug and play. We want plug and play. We want it to be easy, seamless, flexible, um, all those things. Um, but with IoT, you know, it, there are a lot of moving parts when it comes to software, hardware, management, um, platform, um, security, all of those things. So we want to make it, we, they're asking for us to make it easier. The industry just hasn't delivered. So we, we, we are still kind of moving towards that. And that's probably, those are a couple of reasons why I see that so fragmented. Um, there are probably some other factors that are out there in terms of um, just businesses thinking that they can get into this space. A lot of folks call themselves IoT companies and they didn't deliver anything around IoT. Um, so that's also that was also happening, you know, when things were really ramping up four or five years ago. A lot of those companies just aren't around anymore. Either. Yeah, it's interesting, I, I, and, I, and I get your view on that. You can't look at it like traditional. IT and piecemeal, you know, section, 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 because it doesn't work like that. I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be also curious to know, you know, you said that there's quite a few businesses that just won't land in the US, right? They won't, they won't be successful. Uh, they won't operate in, those, in, in, in the right model to be successful. And, and, and what is that down to again? Is that scale? <clears throat> is that kind of cultural in your, in your view? Yeah, I mean, there's some of the things that we talked about on IoT Coffee Talk, you know, things work very differently in Asia versus Europe versus the States. Um, and, you know, and, this, and you think about just the way technology just and it all starts with infrastructure. Um, we, we saw the differences primarily around infrastructure, building out 5G, building out broadband, building out connectivity. So these point solutions, these IoT solutions work. Um, low raw WAN, it works very differently here, you know, in terms of, of adoption, um, CBRE, um, all of these things are just that they are, there are characteristics, buying behaviors, um, you know, is it rural versus um, in the city? You know, all of those things kind of make up, well, we call them firmographics, firmographics, demographics, things that are this varying region by region. 
And so you can't think, okay, this works in Europe. This is going to work in the States. This works in Asia. You know, they're doing so well with 5G and they're doing all of these great robotics. And we're not seeing some of those things take off in the States. Same thing with autonomous vehicles. You know, there are going to be certain regions of the world that are going to really take off. And that has everything to do with infrastructure, the grid, energy. And so, you know, I think that we get really excited about a lot of these things and we think these things can be global. Sometimes they're just not because there are regional differences. And again, a lot of that has to do with not just infrastructure, but um, the government itself, um, mandates, requirements, standards, those kinds of things. Those are all, you know, things that impact um, the regional differences. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it from a recruitment standpoint in the past when people try, but mostly um, businesses based in the States come to the European market, right? Um, yeah. I see, it, I, see it, I see it work sometimes quite successfully, sometimes others not. Um, I think what you really need is you need to, uh, in, my, in my opinion, uh, is you really need some good, strong local people with connections, knowledge to be able to tell you the ins and outs, how it works, etc. And then slowly start to build that out. Right. right. And then slowly start it's, it's, it's real similar to, you know, we used to do these mass surveys of people all over the world of buyers, right? Decision makers, IT decision makers, those that bought technology. And it wasn't like we could create a survey and just blanket it. Number one, you've got language differences. You have cultural differences. You have different um, dialects. You have, so, And it's very similar to that. When you go in region, there are different ways that we do business. There are different cultures that impact things that and how we buy and how we make decisions and what's important to us. Things that might be important here in the U.S. may not be in, important in Japan, right? Or may not be important um, in Turkey, right? So it really, you have to really think about it that way. It, it's the same kind of concept with deep level, like vertical markets, right? If you don't understand, if you're not understanding that customer, then you're not going to, to take it to that next level. And this is the same thing with, um, you know, you can't just think everything's like this. We all want to move towards globalization, but we, we are all we all have cultural differences and different ways that we do business. And um, that's just that's just how it is. And so I think that, you know, folks are folks. I think there are a lot of vendors that, that want to expand globally. You know, they tend to think it's going to be easy and it's not. So, that you know, there are a lot of things they have to do before they really move it to that next level and start to expand or hire or grow their company base um, overseas. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. But I think some of the aspects of, you know, coming out of the pandemic, as we spoke about earlier, you know, people want to go and chase their dreams. They want to go and do stuff. They want to expand. They feel like they've been locked up for two years um, okay. and, and go and push. And, and you know, you, you've got to kind of admire that in a way, right? You kind of, kind of admire the ambition, um, but, but it's not for the faint hearted. And I think you have got to do it in the right way, as you say, and you've correctly identified, you know, you could make it wrong. You could get it wrong. Um, so yeah, completely agree. Um, I wanted to ask you a question. What's your opinion on the, uh, Google announcement? Uh, so obviously that was doing the rounds recently, uh, quite massively on online. I think everyone was kind of chirping in about, Hey, we can help you move across to a new platform. And I think I, I even did it at one point because I thought, well, everyone else is doing it. I might as well mention it. Uh, is that a big 
uh, is that a big sign for IoT in general, or should we not be worried? Should we be worried? Can, whenever a hyperscaler does something, you know, people take notice. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a shock to us IoT coffee talk people, but I try to put myself in the customer's shoes again. I mean, if I was, you know, if I'm a Google customer, yeah, I mean, I'm impacted. I'm upset. I'm like, what do I do? Um, why did I buy into this? Um, but it wasn't shocking to us because we've seen that happen time and time again with Google on some other things in smart cities and whatnot. So, um, you know, we were like, you know, this is this is not shocking, but it is not right. And but now now you kind of have a wave of all of these vendors saying, hey, we're going to make it seamless. We're going to make it easy for you to transition over to us. Um, and then there are other, other companies out there that already had, um, were already working with other vendors, like Azure and some others, you know, mm. and so they're, they're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. Um, everyone's going to be fine. It's, it's more of, okay, this is cumbersome. This is, you know, you're going to make it harder on that customer. And by the way, what if you do all this other business with that particular enterprise and other services that you're offering? You've just, you know, really alleviated or not alleviated, but you've, you've really ticked them off, right? You're going to lose business. And so it, it, it's also one of those things, like I mentioned earlier, everyone thinks they can get into IoT. Everyone thinks they can compete with those that are doing it well, AWS and Microsoft. You know, um, can you? Can you really? Do you understand the enterprise? Google hasn't been a traditionally enterprise, you know, focused company. You know, they're ad. They're ad. They're an ad business. They're consumer oriented um, and or they're ad focused. Right. That's where their revenue is. So. Um, I think it's another thing. It's another one of those big companies thinking that they can add that, you know, just click. I'm going to do that, too. I'm going to do that, too. And then they just fail. Um, but it wasn't shocking to us. IoT. There's a whole episode that we have on that. It wasn't very nice, but I think that folks will enjoy listening to it. But um, I think that was a few weeks ago that we did that. We recorded right. that session. Well, uh, we'll get the link in the comments on this video. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I appreciate that from a from a customer's point of view. And I think a lot of people were probably hedging their bets and going with two solutions, certainly the big operators, right? Because um, you would, it's just standard practice to do something like that, certainly to yeah. to, to, to safeguard. So yeah, I can, I can completely get that. Um, it's been fascinating talking to you today and getting to, to know you on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Obviously, we spoke on the coffee talk when I was on. Um, but yeah, you, you, know, you really have some... You know some fantastic insights and i think that deep deep level of market research you can just tell that you've been in this for a while and that you understand it because there's very sound and reasoned arguments as to why you say what you say about what's happening um so it'd be certainly interesting for some of our viewers and, and listeners to go and check out some of your businesses um but before we get on to sharing about the socials etc i'm going to do a quick fire question round always to highlight the end of our podcast um <laughs> Can you succinctly describe your business in just three words, Steph? No. no. <laughs> I'll try. Market research, forecasting, modeling. Okay. That was good. That was what was that? Market research, forecasting, modeling. Yeah, that was that was around three <laughs> words. We'll let we'll let you have that. Um, Apple or Android on your phone? I have both. One of each. Okay. Great answer. Great answer. And also diplomatic. Um, <laughs> uh, what <laughs> is the what is the one quote you live by day to day? Don't live your life by default. Be purposeful. I like that. That's cool. <laughs> uh, 
Final question. Thoughts on the metaverse? Uh, complete failure. It's just a kid's game. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're going to have to pick up on that on, uh, on, another, on another tour, <laughs> probably on the coffee tour. My niece on the holiday, she got me to download Roblox. And, and I was like, people, <laughs> people waste their time on this all day? I was just like, it's crazy. <laughs> Uh, my time would tell. Yeah, I think my friends yeah. definitely love it. But... Yeah, I just I couldn't understand it. I could not understand <laughs> it. Right, uh, Stephanie, where can people find out more about you? Well, we've got well, I have a lot going on, but compassintelligence.com or compassintel.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Steph Atkins or Compass Intel, and we're all over the place. And then for YouTube, we're IoT Coffee Talk. Dot com and it takes you right to our YouTube page. You can also um, check out elevateourkids.org and learn more about that organization. So thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. It's been great. Thanks, Tom.